welcome to University Hill, located on the campus of the University of British Columbia in beautiful Vancouver. Each week, we gather on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam people. We worship, sing, pray, and engage with scripture as we seek to grow in faith and as followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast of scripture passages and sermons preached will bless your own faith journey. And of course, you're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning. Check out uhill.net for a Zoom link and more information. Ephesians verses 3 to 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people, to the praise of his glory. The word of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord, we give you thanks and praise for the gift of your word. We pray that you would strengthen us by it to live for the praise of your glory, uh, to be a people shaped for your good pleasure. We pray now that you would plant your word in our hearts and that you would bring it to bloom in a way that blesses you and this world that you love, in a way that strengthens us uh, to be fully alive in your presence. We pray that you bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds, that they'd be acceptable in your sight. We pray in the name of Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I I know that we, uh, as a church, we celebrated the turn of the new year several weeks ago, and and I I love that we have um, that reminder that we're meant to march to a different beat. You know, if you don't have your Christian Seasons calendar yet, you can still get one, no problem. Uh, But, you know, especially if you happen to spend any time on social media, I think it's kind of hard not to get caught up in the, the sort of reflective atmosphere of this time of year. You know, even if, if, like me, you haven't seen midnight on New Year's Eve and you don't even know how long because that is way past my bedtime and uh, the changing of one year to the next is kind of arbitrary. So even then, it's still hard to escape the sense that this is a time for taking stock, for starting fresh, for, for looking forward. And 
I confess that I actually really like these sort of obvious annual transition times. You know, as a kid, I always liked the start of a school year for all the promise it held. You know, like this would be the year that I wouldn't lose all my new pencil crayons. Uh, this would be the year that I would take good notes and do my homework. This would be the year that my report card would not say, Aaron is a very bright boy. He just needs to apply himself. It never was. Um, <laughs> but still, September. September was always a blank slate, a new beginning, uh, a fresh start. And, and I feel kind of similarly about the beginning of January. You know, I, I, don't, I don't really make re resolutions myself. And it may be kind of an arbitrary way to mark the passage of time. Nothing is fundamentally different today than it was last Thursday. Even so, I still think that this time is to take stock and reflect and dream. I still think it's a gift. You know, we shouldn't do it only once a year, of course. Christians should attend to their lives all year round. But uh, perhaps we might have a little more space, uh, a little more time to do it intentionally uh, these days. So, so I'm, I'm really glad to be spending time in St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians this morning because he begins that letter by inviting us to take stock to, to pay attention to some things about us. Now, of course, he doesn't seem to be all that interested in whether we need to exercise a bit more or budget better or be more patient or finally get to that life project we've been putting off for so long. In, in fact, Paul doesn't start by being very interested in what we do at all. But instead, he's, he's laser focused on what God has done and is doing. That's where Christians get to start when we take stock not with kind of aspirational self-improvement, but with the will and work of God who made the heavens and the earth and is making all things new. You know, from, from there, everything else flows. We, we don't begin with our best will and effort. We begin with, with God. Because when we begin with God, that's, that's when we find ourselves fully alive. You know, one of the church fathers a long time ago said that the glory of God is the human fully alive. And it was true then, it's true now. And so Paul starts this Ephesian letter with this kind of soaring prayer that we just heard, uh, this prayer of thanksgiving that's meant to remind us of the true conditions of our lives. And if we're going to take stock, we start here. You know, long before we need to drop a couple pounds or get more organized, we need to know this stuff. And, and the key is, I think, to, to pay attention to the verbs. Now, he gives us seven verbs that help us to understand how things are. They're blessed, chose, destined, bestowed, lavished, made known, gather up. Blessed, chose, destined, bestowed, lavished, made known, gather up. If we're going to take stock, we, this is where we start. So the first thing, we, we are blessed, Paul says. And not just kind of vaguely, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. If you have a Bible, you may want to follow around. This is, we're going to go through all seven of these verbs, but we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. And I want to think about that just for a second. In Christ, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing. I mean, do, do you know that about yourself? You've been given everything you need to be in cahoots with God, to draw near to the one who knows you and loves you, who, who knows you better than you know yourself. Now, let's pay attention. Paul isn't writing this to, you know, a, a room full of religious elites and sages and gurus. Uh, he, he's writing this to the same folks who spend their time in the marketplace or washing dishes, going to work and raising kids, enjoying their retirement. In Christ, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. 
It's not something we earn. It's, it's a gift we receive, blessed with every spiritual blessing, freely given everything we need to be in on what God is in on. We are blessed. We're blessed and we're chosen. God chose us, Paul says. It's the second verb. God chose us. And I think this is so important to understand. I, I, think, it, I think it makes all the difference in the world. You can always tell when someone really gets this. Because everybody knows, everybody knows something about not being chosen. Right? We all know the pain of not being picked, of being left out or left behind or overlooked. Doesn't matter what the reasons are. It's no fun. It sucks. It hurts. And we live in a world that encourages us to be fearful of that, right? We need to measure up, to be more productive, to earn our standing, to be recognized in relationships and jobs and accomplishments. We're either worthy or we're not. And we might resolve to measure up, but when we do, I think we generally find that the bar keeps moving on us. We have to prove ourselves worthy at every turn, and in the ways of the world, it makes sense, right? We get what we deserve. But Paul tells us it's nonsense. If, if you feel that way, you have been lied to. Because you are chosen. We are chosen. We are chosen by God. Not, not over someone else, not instead of others, but simply because God delights in us. Before you got out of bed and thought to make something of yourself, you were chosen. Before the foundation of the world, Paul says, we were chosen to be holy and blameless before God in love. I mean, how about that? You are chosen. We're blessed and we are chosen and we are destined. <laughs> we have purpose. We are destined for adoption as children through Jesus Christ. That's the third verb. Destiny. It's kind of a, it's kind of a tricky word, right? But I think here it has essentially to do with our identity. If you're destined to something, it defines you, who you are, right? You may live accordingly or not, but it's still essentially who you are. It's your destiny. Our destiny is to be children in God's family. Everything else is details. And, you know, we should remember that in first century Rome, when Paul was doing his thing, that the family you belonged to meant everything, right? It dictated who you were and who you could be. It opened doors and it closed them. It determined your standing relative to your neighbors. And, of course, in a lot of ways, that's still true, isn't it? I mean, this is a revolutionary thing for Paul to say then. I think it's still revolutionary now. We are not defined by our earthly families, but as part of God's family. Our earthly parents don't define us as wonderful or as bad as they might be. Our, our family name is not determinative. It's God's name, God's character, God's household that defines us. And here's the thing. Paul says this is God's good pleasure. right? This is how God wants it. No divisions, bigger tables, a place for you. Bonds infinitely stronger than blood or genes. The, the heavenly family business, we're part of it. That's what we're destined for. See what love we have been given, says St. John, that we should be called the children of God. God has blessed us and chosen us and destined us, and God has bestowed grace on us. Verb four, bestowed. To, to, to bestow is to give a gift, right? But it's also to, to mark a person. A title is bestowed. Honor is bestowed. The good pleasure of God's will is to freely bestow a glorious grace on us, Paul says. He, God has marked us with a glorious grace. 
God has determined that it will not be our victories or our failures that define us, but grace will define us. And when we stand in God's presence, it's not a matter of our having earned that. It's sheer grace. It means like the writer of the letter to Hebrews says, we can approach the throne of God with boldness. Nothing can keep us from God's presence. And God hasn't given just a little bit of grace, right? This isn't a bit of lenience, a small bonus that we don't really deserve. God has lavished grace on us. That's the next verb, lavished. This is an act of extravagance. In Christ, Paul says, in the beloved, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. Now, there's nothing in your life. There's nothing in my life. There's nothing in our past, nothing in our future that can outweigh God's grace. There is nothing in our lives that cannot be redeemed or forgiven, nothing that can't be transformed by God's love, nothing. If we think so, then that thing has become a kind of twisted idol to us and we're giving it more power than God has over us. God's grace is lavish, extravagant, over the top, more than enough. Now, sometimes when I'm struggling with one thing or another, I think of something that Paul writes in another letter in, in 2 Corinthians. He, he says he, he has this thing, a, a thorn in the flesh, he calls it. And he says he prayed fervently three times that this thorn in his flesh would be removed. He wanted rid of some struggle. It's not really clear whether this was a physical thing or a spiritual thing, a tremor or a temptation, you know, but Paul wanted done with it. And he felt like it was, it was keeping him from God. And the answer he got in prayer was, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. And I, I'm so grateful for Paul's witness to his own struggles and the reminder that, that God's grace is sufficient because that's where true freedom lies. That that's the power that breaks bonds. In Jesus, God has already shown us how far divine love will go to have us. God will love us to the end and then through it, not because of who we are, but because of who God is. And that's an extraordinary thing to know. God's grace has been lavished on us. That's God's good pleasure. Not a little bit, not even a lot. Lavished. So where are we? Let's keep track here. In the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, we are blessed, we are chosen, we are destined. God's glorious grace has been bestowed and lavished. It's over-the-top good. And when we know that, when we start there, then we know something about the world, about how things really are. Something has been made known, the sixth verb made known. In all this, Paul insists that God has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure set forth in Christ. In Jesus, we see how God is. What is mysterious is made known. What is ineffable, incomprehensible, untouchable has become flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Grace has a body and a name. Jesus of Nazareth. This is, this is the story of the Bible, right? The unknowable God refuses to stay unknown. The God whose ways and means are far above us refuses to stay far above and instead gets astonishingly close, close enough to be held, close enough to hold us. In, in Jesus, God's will for us in the world is made known. Jesus is what God is like. Right? Jesus wants what, what, what Jesus wants is what God wants. 
If we want to know more about what God is like, we want to, if we want to make sure our lives are moving with the grain of the universe and not against it, we look to him. So here's a challenge. If you like a New Year's challenge, why not resolve to read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 to 7, once a week for the next year? It'll take you 10 minutes, 10 minutes a week. Read the Sermon on the Mount once a week for ne- the next year. because that's, that's Jesus' kingdom of God manifesto. Right? It's what he's about. It's, it's, and it's how we get it in on our everyday lives. And that's, of course, what this season of Christmas that we're still in is about, as much as anything. God's will for all things taking shape on the ground. And it's in the company of Jesus that we can say with confidence that God's will, God's deep desire, is to gather up all things to himself. Verb 7. Gather up. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Jesus says. Behold, I I make all things new, he proclaims in the Revelation. From the cross, Jesus prays over his enemies, over his killers, over his betrayers, over his fickle followers. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Time and again, we see in Jesus God's determination to be God with us, God for us, no matter what. Time and again in Jesus, we see the promise that God is going to get the world God wants and nothing in heaven, earth, or hell is going to stop it, not even death. God refuses to be God at a distance. God, God indifferent. God, God, will not only, God will only be the God who is determined to gather all things, to make all things new. Blessed, chosen, destined, bestowed, lavished, made known, gather up. Blessed, chosen, destined, bestowed, lavished, made known, gather up. Now, as Christians, if we want to start to take stock, that's where we begin. This framework, this extravagant prayer is how we learn to live day by day the stuff we yearn for through Advent, hope and peace and joy and love. You know, whatever the next year holds, this is the stuff that's truest about us, about this world, no matter what. This is the stuff we're meant to live out, the stuff our, our lives are meant to bear witness to, so that we might live for the praise of God's glory, Paul puts it. Or so that with Mary, we can say again and again, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. It may be kind of a soaring prayer, but everything that Paul prays is meant to be lived, right? We're not meant to just know it intellectually or when we're in church or feeling especially spiritual, but all the time. And it's supposed to get into our bones, find shape in our bodies, our blessedness, our chosenness, our destiny is meant to be known in whatever we do. And when we fail to do that, and we will fail to do that, we know that God's grace is lavish, is more than enough to get us back on track. You know, the late, great Rachel Held Evans, if you haven't read Rachel Held Evans, you really should. She says that Christians are a transitional species in the evolution or the evolving life of the world. A, a transitional species. I, I, I like that. I like that image. You know, we're to be a sign, to be a symbol in everything we do of what's coming next. You know, we're not made perfect yet. All things in heaven and on earth are not gathered up yet. We don't entirely live for the praise of God's glory yet. 
but in the light and the company of Jesus, we have every reason to hope for the day. And so we, we start to live it now. We don't just wish for it, we live it. Right now, we are made perfectly to be mixed up with God's spirit. Right now, we have everything we need, blessed with every spiritual blessing to be God's people, to be God's people for the sake of God's beloved world. And so I want to encourage you this week to spend some time in this prayer. I want to encourage you to read it over, sit with it, linger on the verbs, chew them over, memorize them. Let, let God speak to you through this word, write down what, what comes up. Pray it for yourself, pray it for your family, pray it for your neighbors, for our church, for this world. And then let's take a risk in this transitional time as transitional people. <laughs> as Christmas draws to a close, to learn from Mary to say again what she taught her baby boy to say. Let it be with me according to your word. God give us grace and guts. Amen. <laughs>